Hi there, Glocal Citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu, coming to you from Addis Ababa. I'm so excited. I have officially added another new country to my list of travels, and I'm looking forward to my adventures here for the next couple of days en route to Cape Town. I think we've I've kind of been giving you the story as I've been talking to guests these last few weeks. So I'm really excited that I was able to catch up with my friend who is recently celebrated a birthday. So this is kind of like a birthday catch up slash uh, get back in touch opportunity. And so I'll get right to it. He is a documentary photographer with roots in South America, spending most of his life living, schooling and working in Brooklyn, New York. His work has been shown at the Bishop Gallery, Hill Cafe, Restoration Plaza, and the Photoville Project in Dumbo. That stands for Down Under the Manhattan Bridge Overpass, for those of you not familiar with that in New York. He's also exhibited outside of New York City at the Ranjiba Gallery in Baltimore, Maryland, and the Jazz Museum in New Orleans, Louisiana. Dante Bowen Hendricks, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Florence. Thank you. Yay. I'm so excited. So you have such an interesting story. I'm so happy to like get right in because you're going to have some really interesting responses to some of these questions. So first up, where are you from? Where are you local? And what is your craft? Okay. Well, originally I'm from Guyana. I came here at the age of 15. I lived in uh, New York probably what, 34 years. I think I lived in New York. Yeah. I moved from New York to Austin, didn't like Austin, and then I moved from Austin to New Orleans. Okay. So where would you say that you are local? Currently, I would say my heart is in New Orleans. I would currently say New Orleans. That's where I'm at. Okay. And so before we go into your craft, where in Guyana are you from? Georgetown, the capital. Okay. All right. So we'll talk a little bit more about Guyana. What is your craft? Uh, the craft, um, I would say photography, but I was photography slash trucker, but my heart is into photography. So I would say photography, but I do trucking to support my photography. Which is so, you know, so typical of, of being an artist, you know, being a creative is that we have to find ways to pay the bills while we explore and bring to fruition our creative selves. So when I met you, a little bit of background, folks, I've known Dante for a long time. And that was in his Brooklyn days. And he was always snapping pictures, always taking photographs. And then suddenly he was like, you know what? I'm leaving New York. I'm going <laughs> to head to Texas. And w- the way that he was going was to be a trucker. So tell us a little bit more about how that came to be. Like, how did you how did you determine that that was a way and, and how do you use that in your craft? Okay, so when I moved to when I moved to Texas, I moved to Austin, Texas. I went to Austin because it was supposed to be this creative place, and I was always fascinated with Texas. I'd never been there before, so I just up and went. When I went to Texas, I had a culture shock. Pretty much everywhere I went, I was like, "Where are the black folks?" And people was like, "Oh, you late? Is is a gentrification? Everyone has left." Mm. And I was pretty bored. I mean, I walk around looking for something to photograph, something to document. It was different, but I didn't find what I was looking for there. Uh, but once I was there in Texas, I was like, "Okay, I could start 
photography for work there, but it's like starting all over again. It's going to take time. It's going to take, I have to pay bills and all these stuff. So I would say to myself that I need to have something that I could do within the next probably six months to start earning. I was figured out that I was always fascinated by America landscape. And I was thinking to myself, what can I do that I could travel America without hitting me in the pockets. Mm. So one of the things that came to mind, I said, you know what? You could see America through trucking and you could, it could be a marriage between trucking and photography because you would get a chance to see America and take pictures too at the same time. So um, I decided to do it. And Wessa was, I remember Wessa was going through the, the trucking school, learning how to drive and everything. I was speaking to the instructor and he was actually telling me, he said, you're going to see the country, but you might see the country from your window. <laughs> I said, okay, that, that's, that, that's a disappointment. But I do get a chance, like uh, at least once a month, I get a chance to lay over for a weekend or probably twice, twice a month. I get a chance to lay over in, in different cities. And that gives me the opportunity to take pictures. Mm-hmm. So before, before that, had you traveled in the U.S. very much? The only place that I went to much, I would say Florida. I've, I've probably been to Florida like 20 times mm. because I just love the beach. And also what mm. I like about Florida, it just reminds me so much of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. You know, the food is there. There's different community. You know, they have the Cuban community. They have the uh, Haitian community out there. And there's a lot of West Indian vibes out there. So I always enjoy because the food is familiar. The weather is familiar. The beach is familiar. So Florida was always my destination. Mm, Okay. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit more about the business of being a trucker. What was the process like? How did you, you know, find which organization? I have a few friends who have bought trucks and have kind of got into that business. And I have another friend whose sister works for a logistics company. And so she manages truck drivers who are kind of all over. So I'm just fascinated by, I mean, folks... Pretty much in every country, wherever we are, the way that we get our goods is by truck. And so I'm, I'm curious about what kind of a loads that you typically take around and, and how you got into the specific type of trucking that you're doing. Well, first off, you got to ask yourself what you want to do in trucking because mm-hmm. trucking have different genres. And uh, I decided to do flatbed. Uh, a lot of people don't like it. It's much more physical. So I wanted to do something that is, at the same time I could get a workout or something to keep me active instead of just driving, you know, because you don't want to put on the weight or whatever. So I decided to do flatbed. And what I do in flatbed, I haul um, building materials. So pretty much from like my last load, for example, was uh, ACs, AC units, or, or before that is steel. A hard, our company haul a lot of uh, steel to, to Mexico. So I usually go drop it off at the border. Mm. And pretty much what happens is that Mexico take the steels or whatever, and they make different, maybe pots, pan, machinery, whatever. Mm. And you pick it up back from there and you distribute it around America. So you take the raw materials and go back for the finished good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. 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 That's really interesting. And to make that decision. And so when I speak to you sometimes from the road, it's really interesting 
to get a sense of how professional it actually is. Because you, you know, when you look at these old movies where they have, you know, truckers who are going around, it, it looks like a hard life. And not to say it's not, but it seems like you're driving all the time and in the middle of the night and all these things. But but tell us a little bit more about how it is professionally and how, how well you are able to have quality of life. Is, is what you make it uh, for me sometimes I like adventure as you know I have, I have a very adventurous spirit so so pretty much is always like camping for me I have a little bit of stuff that I need this in here that I stay uh, I have a few stuff as long as I have my food and at first for me it was difficult because you're away from your friends you're away from all these activities I you know like for me I always like, I remember during the, the BLM protests, I miss all of that. And I was just dying, just watching everybody going out to different events. And I was, I felt it. Mm-hmm. Again, you got to adjust. You learn how to work. You know, it gives it takes time, but you learn how to work the system. You know, you come up with a system. My system, uh, for me, as long as I got a chance to take pictures, that keeps me going. And um, I do get the chance to take pictures. Like, for example, there are certain places that I go that are my favorite. Like, I love going to California. I love the West Coast, the scenery all there. So every time I go in there, as long as I see something that I want to photograph, I pull over as long as it's safe. Mm-hmm. I pull over and take the picture that I and that's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me happy. Mm, I like that. I like that. And and just so everyone knows, we're actually doing this interview from his truck. <laughs> he's he's about to take a little bit of a break. And he's going to tell us more about that when we talk about his craft as a photographer. But just so you understand that the the idea of being a trucker, it's like a little apartment in there. And it's very livable, Right. Yeah, it comes with, uh, you have your own closet, you have your own fridge, you have your own uh, area. For me, I have, uh, I would call it an oven uh, oven Mm -hmm. that I cook in. I have my weight set to work out. Pretty much I have my books, my photography books. And I have Wi-Fi. I have Wi-Fi. And, you know, I have my laptop. So I have things to keep me interested. I have books that when there's certain areas you might go, you might not have good signal. Yeah. That's when I resort to my books. So, yeah. So there's a lot. And also being here on the truck, you, you, you have the chance to create projects. Like we have a chance to journal a lot. A journal about my destination and everything. A journal about projects, future projects that I want to do on the road. Mm-hmm. So, so those things keeps me thinking, yeah. Yeah, it's almost almost meditative being on the road. Yeah, yeah. Got it, got it. Okay, we talked a little bit, but I always like to ask why the where. And this why the where I want to ask more about your journey from Guyana to the U.S. Because you, you mentioned that you grew up there and then you spent a large part of your life in New York. So tell us why the where. How did you come to be living, working, and playing in your home before life took you on the road? My dad brought me here. I was very passionate at the time in Guyana. I was into cycling and it's a race. Uh, I was a cyclist. And at the time, I remember my grandmother, I grew up with my grandmother and pretty much she was like, you know, you, you're getting at an age. I can't keep up with you. It's time for you to go and live with your dad. So I came over here and uh, my dad knew how passionate I was about cycling. The first day that I came, the next morning, he already had a racing bike for me. Wow. And my racing gear. The following morning, the first place I saw in America was Prospect Park <laughs> because that followed with me and he took me to the park and I, I started training. I would start doing loops in the park. I love it. That's actually how you, how you, I think we knew each other before we knew each other, right? 
Oh, we actually met. You used to walk the park. You used to walk in the opposite direction. Yeah, I would run. Yeah, I'd be I running. Run. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I came here for, for me, I wanted to be a pro cyclist. And as you age in, in the sport, you know that cycling is not an easy game. It's, it's a, it was very hard, hard game. So yeah, we, yeah, you become, you figure out that you got to move on to your next. Yeah, it's got to move on to the next. Yeah. Yeah. So before cycling and living in Guyana, tell us a little bit more about your favorite experiences before leaving as a young adult. So when I was leaving Guyana, it was the most exciting time in my life. Um, the last two years before I came to America was, it was just amazing. I didn't want to come. Mm. Uh, I was having so, so much of a good time. How was it for me? Well, I grew up with my grandmother. So pretty much my grandmother was, she was a, uh, I would say a Christian or uh, a devoted Christian. So she had me in the church. Oh, I was an altar boy. Mm. Yeah, I wasn't too far that. <laughs> I was a Boy Scout, so I joined the Boy Scouts and I was Boy Scouts because, again, as you know, I love adventure in my life. So can we been exploring Guyana, going camping? So every weekend we had somewhere to go. So I vastly, it was fun doing that. And I got a chance to see a few countries too. Like I got a chance to see Suriname. I got a chance to see Barbados. Uh-huh. And the funny thing, that coming here, there was going to be a jamboree in Florida. I came here that, that said year. So I got a chance to see different places with um, being a Boy Scout. It was always an adventure for me. I was always exploring, even though, even in Guyana, cycling, we used to cycle to different parts, different region. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I used to like to watch the races, like motorcycle race or car race. So every week, at a certain time, we would ride up into the country, probably like a 10-hour ride into the country so we could watch our races. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. It sounds like a great early life early upbringing it is it is it, it was it was i always remember it and i always said my childhood when i look back on it compared to most it was very adventurous uh get to meet all walks of life with people from my country i had a good time i had a good time i my uh it's i had a rich childhood i would play soccer i was a big fan of soccer so on sundays this is how it is for me on sundays i remember because i was an altar boy I had to go to do the seven o'clock mass as a server. Mm. And most of my friends, none of my friends went to that particular church. It was a Anglican, Anglican Catholic church, St. Sid Wells. And I would leave that church and I would go over to a Baptist church where all my friends would attend. And it was much more fun because everybody would play instruments. Yeah. It, it, it had a vibe. Right. You know, it had a vibe. And Sunday school, so you would attend Sunday school. That was fun. And then after that, after church, pretty much I would go home and as usual, lunch would be ready. And every Sunday, it was a specific meal we would have. We would call it metaji. So pretty much it's like yam, dumpling and those kind of things would would be cooked on Sundays. Okay. And uh, I I would have that. And then there's a few things that I would I, I would end up doing. We would end up going to play soccer. Uh-huh. All the guys would get together after church and go out and play soccer or football, college football. Or if not that, there would be where I used to live had a lot of horses. And every Sunday, sometimes they would have horse race. Mm. So all of us would go and watch these horses race. Okay. And it was different garrison, like like different areas. Like uh, there, there's probably a garrison in different parts of Georgetown and they would get together and race against each other. 
So was it kind of like it kind of like rodeo racing or like racetrack racing? No, it's not like it was horse and carriage. Oh, it was kinda, kinda, wow. Okay. Uh, we call it donkey cart kind of race, okay. and um, pretty much they would line up against each other, and they would have quite a few, probably three or four races, and people would bet money on it or whatever, and whoever mm-hmm. wins. So, so that was that was fun. Yeah. Also. Um, I remember too, growing up too, we had a lot of, uh, they used to call it goat race. So <laughs> as a young kid, I used to go and attend a lot of goat race because we used to bet a lot of money on it. Fake it so, move. <laughs> <laughs> so the goat run was pretty interesting. I remember winning winning a derby the first time and winning a lot of money watching goat race. Mm-hmm. So, so that was fun. Okay. And then on a Sunday evening, there's got a place called the Sea Walls, where there's the Atlantic Ocean and, you know, Guyana is below sea level. So during the time when the Dutch um, occupied Guyana, they built a dam, a pretty much a, that they call the sea, a wall. So pretty much um, on Sundays, uh, Sunday evening, everyone would go and hang out there. So you would get together with all your schoolmates or friends from your neighborhood and all of us would go on a bike ride. Uh, we'd go on the sea walls and we would admire all the girls or admire. It was a place to be. Everybody, if you're driving motorcycles, a place that to to hang out. And after that, after the sea wall, when it got you know, a little bit later, we would go down to a place called Igloo and we'd get ice cream. Uh-huh. That was fun. Or another thing, if if that doesn't happen on Sundays, there's always a football match on Sundays. So there, there's a ground that we call, I think it's called GFC or whatever, but we would go there soccer you watch your favorite team play against the other team so that's called childhood for me yeah it sounds lovely so i think i think that rolls well into my local speak questions so we like to hear what you hear so i ask you to share a word a phrase or a saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you come to value it as local speak in the trucking world they said uh like like when you're saying to a person um, bye or whatever or or we're gonna see see you down the road they said uh there's a saying there's a saying that i'll see you later the rubber hit the road yeah when the rubber meet the road i'll see you down the road yeah okay 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 yeah i'm sure you hear that a lot <laughs> like do you do, yeah, you, do you use a walkie-talkie like breaker breaker <laughs> all that stuff is that real yeah, that is real. But I don't use the ones. I actually have one, but I only turn it on in the winter. I use it in the winter when, or I use it at the ship. Or there's certain shippers that you go to that you really don't have any contact with the person. So you would use that instead and they'd tell you where to go exactly. Ah. Or I would use it for the winter because in the winter it's very important to have it because <laughs> going, going to certain mountainous places where there's snow and ice, there's always changes. So somebody could give you a heads up. What's down the road? Yeah, yeah, that's the whole point. Right, right, right. Interesting. Okay, so let's switch gears a little and talk about your craft and photography. And so growing up, you had this very colorful, beautiful childhood. And so I'm I'm imagining that probably fed your wanderlust, number one, and your love of photography. So tell us how photography became a part of who you are and what Inferno Photos is all about. Okay, so I actually wanted to be a filmmaker. And the photography is actually a stop short mm. from being that. Growing up as a young kid, on weekends sometimes, I used to go and see my mom's. Uh, and every time I went to see her, she would give me, uh, she knew that I love uh, movies. 
So I would go and see her and she would give me money and I would go off to the movies. And I would spend uh, all day Saturday watching movies. Sometimes I would watch, I'd go to the cinema or the theater. And I would watch sometimes two, two movies back to back. And that was my life and that inspired me as far as movies. And then later on, later on in life, when I came here, my stepmother, she's the first one that introduced me to cameras. She started showing, she needs to take Polaroid. Mm. So I started using, but before mm. all of that too, I remember most of my family growing up in Guyana, most of my family was away overseas. So some was in England, some was in England, some was in the States. So I literally got to know most of my family through the photo album before I ever met them. That is, yeah, that is a global experience of many transiting people. So going through the albums, I remember there was a lot of loose photos in the album. And I remember getting together. Uh, I bought another other album to put in these loose photos. So pictures, it was always in my head, always playing with him, touching him and, you know, organizing it. So that was part. So uh, I understand at the early age, the importance of uh, photography, mm. because it documents a record, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So I always say that that plays a big part because I've learned from that to document everything in my life mm. from those mm-hmm. moments. Yeah. Like recently, uh, I met some family that I haven't met in England. Whilst I was there yeah. and I was talking to them, I literally look across the the wall or the or the the cabinet and you would see certain photos. And I would say, Oh, I remember that photos and the person said, How how do you know about that photo? My uncle was like, How do you know about that photo? I said, I saw that photo in the, the photo album. And he's like, he said, oh, yes. And, he, and and there was a story for that. He was said, I remember the first time I came to England, I sent my mother that photo. You wow, know? yeah. Mom passed away. My grandmother, his sister, she, who was my grandmother, she got that photo. And again, during the album, I always remember going to the album and I was asking my grandmother, who's this? Or who, you know, and she would give you a backstory. So... All of that to say, that's how, again, I got introduced with the family. Like, everywhere you go, you would see a picture, and you would point to that picture and say, I see that picture. That picture's from the album. And they would tell you when it was sent, what was the situation. So you get a little backstory and a little bit history from all of that. So, uh, me, I really feel like all of that, full circle, all of that has played a role in my photography life. That photography is taking you around the world, right? So tell us a little oh, about, yeah. Yeah, tell us more about your travels and, and what kind of eye you have developed from traveling and and photographing. Because I think now you would kind of categorize yourself as a street photographer. Street photographer, or, or, or I would say it, it's a thin line between street, street photography or documentary photography. Okay, okay. So it's a thin line. It's a thin, yeah, both of them spill over on each other. Sure. I would say, because I love culture, I love different cultures. So that fascinate me, culture, rituals, all those things fascinate me. How the structure, what kind of structure they have. Those are the kind of things that fascinate me. So I would say street photography for me is when I don't have nothing to do. If I'm in a place and not much culture exists, then I turn my eyes to something differently. But if there's culture there, I want to focus on that. I want to know what came about. Yeah. So some of your adventures have been to Brazil. So Brazil, Cuba. I went to UK quite a few times because I'm actually doing a project on UK and uh, the, the carnival. Because again, growing up to, and this, 
again, full circle. I remember the first time discovering Carnival in Guyana, and it was just an amazing thing. I remember having the time of my life when I first discovered it. Like I said, I can't believe this. This is this is, this is the most fun I ever had. <laughs> so there was always attraction to it. So even to this day, there's still something fascinating about it. So I remember talking to a friend of mine, and he always said, man, just photograph the things that you're passionate about and the reason to the reason for that is that you would always keep in you always be engaged in taking photos and uh carnival is one of those things um so i've been i want to do a full circle there's two things like spirituality is very important to me too so that's another project i want to embark upon but first i said let me get the carnival thing out of the way and then my next project would be more of rituals like traveling the African diaspora and mm-hmm. you may know that voodoo mm-hmm. but just the influence on what voodoo coming from Benin and how it spread throughout the African diaspora. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds really interesting. So tell us about what your different tools of the trade. So photographers choose different kinds of equipment, et cetera, et cetera. So what's your preferred camera uh, and the type of film and why? My medium is film, film photography. Again, film photography is just, I just love the look. It's not perfect. Uh, I hate when pictures that look so clean and perfect. It's it's like, it's no characters. So film for me have characters. So I gravitate towards that mostly. And um, I use a lot of vintage old camera. Now my, my trusted is a Leica M6. Mm-hmm. And that's probably around with me on the truck. I used to take all my pictures with. And also I have a, a Fuji. 6W690. And I use that format like when I'm doing landscape. It have much more, it takes much more details. Mm, so mm-hmm. I use um, landscape photography. Mm-hmm. Okay. So two cameras that I travel with. Um, I love black and white. The reason why it's less to worry about, it strips everything down. It just deals with the person itself. It just deals with the character of the person, the look of that person. Uh, it gets rid of all the color. So it's, it's very important to, to use that. Uh, I love the black and white. Colors have its place. Like recently, I started focusing more on color photography because sometimes, you know, actually shooting the carnivals had got me into using much more color because it's like, and even Cuba, I remember going to Cuba for the first time and, and shooting color. That was my first time shooting color in a long time was in Cuba and I said to myself all oh, this color and all this beauty in the in these colors around you you have to shoot color you know mm-hmm. it, it have is uh evolved too I learned that you have to shoot color in carnival you just can't shoot black and white for that I would I use Potra Kodak Potra it's pretty pricey now but mm-hmm. uh to look uniform so I basically st- stick with what I usually use you know right as a, as a as a pulling together a body of work right uh, work, yes, yes. So speaking of that, I know that you've had a few projects and you've had a few exhibitions, and I think one of them culminated in a book that's out. So tell us, tell us about that project and what it was about. That project came about out of frustration. Being, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes you have uh, images and. I feel like sometimes Instagram has changed a lot. And uh, Instagram, sometimes we look at, we call it a graveyard. That's where image goes to die. Mm-hmm. And if you to live or have a life, 
our printing is what it is. You know, you print your wall, it could always stay relevant. Mm-hmm. You know, again, it came out of frustration because there are certain magazines that you try to get in. There's certain things, but there's a lot of politics, as you know, with everything. So there always there's a saying that I grew up with: "God bless the child that have his own." So. I get together with a few friends of mine that pitched the idea to them, and they pretty much we share similar views. Phil is one of them. We got together, uh, we planned it, and it came into existence. It's called uh, Inferno. And basically, it's a documentary, a documentary zine. Like, each of us pick a story. And basically, one of the things we wanted to do it made it make it a platform for different photographies. Like, it's uh, our motto is our, let me see, where is our motto? It's for the unseen, unheard, you know, kind yeah. of people like people that good work, but they're they're not they're not noticed. Sure. Um, yeah. So that's so that's why we created it, and also for our travels. You know, sometimes you travel and you and you have an important project, a project that is very dear to you, or something that, example, if I go and I do something on on spirituality or rituals and I just don't want to put it on Instagram and sure. it's just you know because what people take what a one second now to look at a photo on Instagram so you want to put it in that it's you know important so uh, so printing it and putting it in a book people could be able to digest it and look over it and take the time and and, and look at a photo instead of just looking at it on Instagram We'll put a link to the book on in the show notes and where we can find you and all of your, your works. But I think you make a really good endpoint about how social media has evolved because Instagram first started about the picture, right? The gram, it was about the pictures. And so that's what eventually uh, attracted me is that I love this, the visual of storytelling with images and as most things social media and attention getting, it has transitioned into more, it's more about the moving picture, more about the reels, and then the algorithm and how sales plays into it. So there really aren't any more pure art type of platforms. And so with that in mind, when you think about your next works, your next projects, and and where you would like to see photography moving for accessibility to many. What what do you think about? How do you see that happening? Well, the thing about it is that AI has came into the game now, and there's a struggle now with purists against ERA. You know, there's there's a set of photographers, including me, I'm one of them, that believe in the art of photography and the process. And to just come up with something at AI and feel like it's kind of you feel like you're being replaced. So that's the hot topic now with everyone would saying. But I think AI have its place too. Everything have its place. Sure. AI might come out and and, and it's gonna have people that's gonna be into that, you know. And mm-hmm. and again, you're gonna have people that stick with the photography. So it's changing a lot. And um, the only thing you could do is keep an eye on cutting edge technology and try to figure out how can I incorporate photography on this new technology. Yeah, I can I can dig it. So uh, you have an exciting weekend coming up. What's going on? What are you doing? So currently, it's kind of funny that um uh, my last load that I had actually dropped off outside of DC. In, in Virginia, and I realized that the Palestinian rally is happening tomorrow. And I figured, you know what? 
since I'm here, it'd be a shame if I don't, don't attend it again, using trucking at my advantage, you know? So it, it brought me here. So I finally say, you know what, let me grab a hotel, grab a hotel. And at least tomorrow, I'm able to attend the rally and photograph the rally, which in, I never, because again, I miss all the, the Black Lives Matter protests, all of those protests. And this is my first DC event. Mm. So I can't wait for that. My dilemma right now is this to shoot black and white or is to shoot color. And I feel like with a Palestinian flag and a lot of people are gonna have a lot of expression, you know, they they also in their flag have the the red, black and green color. So I feel like I wanna I'm thinking in my head, maybe should I, I should shoot color and part of me that love black and white so much is saying that oh, I should shoot black so I decided I'm just gonna shoot both. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like, do both. You'll be there. You're there for a mission. So I guess the challenge is, is that when you catch one in one, you can't do both at the same time, right? I can't do both. No, yes. You got to pick one. Exactly. So there's a moment that you're going to catch in black and white, and then there's a moment that you'll catch in color, and it's going to be <laughs> a whole yeah. storyline. So speaking of, have you ever worked with the photo assistant, like in terms of building out your practice and things like that? Is that something that you see specifically also as you move into or or if you still think about filmmaking? Well, that's something, too. You asked me a question earlier about photography, um, where you think it's going. And at some point, too, um, I'm saying to myself, as much as I love photography, because what I've noticed with photography and filmmaking or, or video record, you can't do both. You have to pick one because every time you pick up a camera to film, to record on a camera, you see a picture that you want to take and you're kind of like, ah, ah. So you you realize that you have to pick one. But I probably have figured that later on, uh, probably in the next year or two, I'm going to start, for example, there's certain trips that I want to do. And I've been thinking about another project for a long time and I've been talking about it. And I'm trying to get together with Phil and as you know, Cisco, and pretty much Guyana, back in the days, Guyana was called the Wild Coast. And that included the Guyanans, meaning that it was English Guyana, Dutch Guyana, and French Guyana. Um, today now, those places are called Guyana, and then you have Dutch Suriname, and then you have French Guyana. Mm. We want to do a trip, three of us want to do a trip. They're probably going to start in Guyana. Uh, we probably take the ferry over to Suriname. Mm-hmm. And there's a in Suriname that I always want to photograph. I grew up hearing about them. They're called the Jukka mm. tribe. During slavery in, in Dutch Guyana, they went to the runaway, into the Amazon, into the rainforest. And on to this day, they still live there. And the way they don't have much access to the outside world. And the way that they operate, that they don't deal with money, they only barter. They farm, and whatever you need, they would exchange it. Mm. Also, they still wear the African garment that pretty much the, the men wear the wrap skirts. Always wonderful document that. So I'm, I'm excited to do that. So, yeah, so that's one. So, on that particular trip, I don't think that trip warrant photograph only. You got to do video. Yeah, just real storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like the next, probably this year, I don't know. I'm trying to get, as you know, it's difficult when you have. Yeah, schedules. When we decide to do that, I definitely I want to make sure that I have that practice and everything. So when I go on the road for that particular trip, I'm able to document step by step the process. 
Yeah, I love that. I love the concept. I'm, we're all looking forward to understand. I had no idea. And I know there are many of those types of stories. And that's what I love about people like yourselves who are documenting culture and stories and bringing them back to people who they would otherwise be forgotten. And, and so thinking along those lines, I'd like to ask about a mindset hack. So what is your favorite or an innovative mindset hack? So one that you practice, one that you know of, or one that you can imagine? Positive thoughts. Every time I have a chance, I just research. sometimes there's certain things that sneaks into your head where you might think of something negatively and you will say to yourself, you know what, get that thought out of your head because a man is, uh, what you think it, you could bring into this world. So make sure you always have positive thoughts, you know. One is just staying present. Say, for example, as you know, sometimes you get, you might go into the past and you think of a mistake and or you go to the future and you're worrying about what the future is going to look, but the future is not there yet. So you always, within, you're in limbo, you're always just floating out there. You're never here in the present. You know, you, you, you're, you're thinking about the future and you're thinking about the past and you, and you don't care about the, the present. So I'm, I'm learning to stay in the present. The past already happened. The future is not there. So why worry about something that haven't you haven't even experienced yet. So those are the things is like many of times you think about the future, you think of what you want and it gets you, certain things get you frustrated. So I've learned that, you know what, when that time come, I will deal with it, you know, but don't worry about the details because it's the details that I worry about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Presence is all there is, actually. I was listening to a physicist talk about it and literally the presence is all that we are and all that everything is. So that's the way to move forward and just be. So I like that a lot. So Dante, we, we know that you love to watch. We know that you love to read. And so getting a little bit more into, I know that your leisure is a lot of, you know, taking photos and things like that, but we're curious about the Dante that's not working or driving or taking photos. What do you, what do you do for you? I usually put in the context of, are you a reader, a watcher or a listener? And if you are, if you can share some of your favorite reads, watches or listens, or what else do you do to be present? I read a lot in my time because a lot of places sometimes you go, you don't have access. So it's either I'm listening to cast whilst I'm driving or reading when I have the time. I just finished two reads. Uh, one is on Collins, who is an English journalist. I was reading his biography. Um, it's called Unreasonable Behavior. Um, pretty much he's really good because he was just growing up in the rough side of England to, to becoming a photographer and traveling the world. And the funny thing about it, all the stories that he told, because he talked about Africa, all those places, all the conflict places he have been, and he's photographed those places. I even talk about the Middle East. So all the present thing that the things that are the same things that he was talking about is exactly what's happening right now mm. in the Middle East. Uh, and it, it's like, with, with that book, it's like, reading history all over again. And you see seeing all the, these problems still exist, you know? So, so that that is one. And then that put me on a journey of uh, reading another uh, wartime photographer who's uh, called, his name is Robert Kappa. And he had a book to call Slightly Out of Focus. Mm, okay. And that, that was pretty good. Uh, and now I'm presently, I just started yesterday, I started Napoleon, his biography. Oh, that should be interesting. He was a character. <laughs> character and since the movie is, um, I think there's a movie coming out on it now. I want to, it's always good when you read a book 
I watched the movie, he could correlate. So I want to do this. I'm interested in characters like that, like like Hannibal. I read a Hannibal too. Who else? Caesar. Caesar. I haven't finished it yet. You know, when I get bored sometime, I go back to it. But um, the two books I'm reading right now is uh, one on Caesar and one on Napoleon. Okay. Okay. It's interesting you say that because I was in transit on a flight and watched a movie called Chevalier. And that was about the the French composer who was a revolutionary and Napoleon basically erased him from existence in terms of like once he came in because there was a revolution and he was a big part of it and they abolished slavery and Napoleon brought slavery back. And in all of that, there was a, a strong effort to erase all of Chevalier's works and everything. So there's not much known about him. So yeah, I yeah, I would be interested to understand more about that person and the evolution of the Napoleon complex. <laughs> it's good to know about these people and know the thinking process and how they, they arrive to certain decisions, you know? Yeah, yeah, their backgrounds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the psychology of those characters and history. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Dante, this has been so awesome. Thank you so, so much for taking time out. I know you, you want to get back on the road and get to D.C. and get settled before you head out on a busy, eye-opening and really important mission tomorrow. Because I think documenting and documenting truth is what's something that's been missing in a lot of the coverage of this current war situation. And so I appreciate that you are wanting to go and show the faces of those who are in solidarity and and just in, in communication about what this means to them. So thank you for that. Thank you. You're welcome. Before we sign off, do you have any last words you'd like to share with our audience? Uh, I mean, we live in an unprecedented times right now, as far as it seems like everywhere there's a conflict. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's like, it's like for example, with the media, sometimes you really got to stay away from the media to have peace. It seems like anything that sell is like before I remember watching the news now, but now it's just like, I just can't deal with it anymore. It's just, I feel like they just put things out there to keep people on the edge, you know? So I, I, yeah, I feel like people sometimes should stay away from certain things and just get out there. It's good to stay present to stay knowing what's going on. But um, at the same time, everything is so divisive right now, to be honest with you. And it, it's like, I wonder, say for example, one thing I realize is that sometimes a nation is, is uh, our country operate is uh, decided by the, the people. So say, for example, you know what? I don't want to get into politics. You know, politics <laughs> is a show. Yeah, it's a hot button. It's a touchy subject. Yeah. Touchy subject. Sure, sure, sure. My thing to people is just love and have an open heart. And as much as the world, because the funny thing about it is that life is short. So just make sure you have a rich experience. Never go there and have a rich experience of this world and be open. You know, be just be open. That's my only thing. I mean, for me, things that keeps me curious, I'm just curious about everything. And and because of that, I've met great people in my life because I was just curious of where this person is from, what a culture is like, or how people operate. And for that, it has brought me joy. It has brought me some interesting people in my life, including you. You know, I remember when you went to start this podcast, when you took the class to start it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here we are. (laughs) So... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
that's it, man. Just having rich experience because the funny thing about that more and more, you can't take anything with you. So as much of mass might accumulate in your life, when you're sick, you realize that it's not the most important thing. So your memories is what's important. All the elders that I have sit down and talk to, when they start talking about the, the, the past in their, in their lives, they, they, a, when you look at their face, there's a joy, there's a smile. You could see the, how they brighten up just talking about the past. And, and and to me, that brought me to a realization that, you know, when you meet a ripe age, is that the only thing you value is your memories. So it's very important to go out there and have rich experience and rich memories that when you sit down in that rocking chair, you could think, because even with me, certain things that I might go down the road and I might see certain things, and I just smile or laugh. And people, why is this person smile or what is this person? But it's just a, a, ref, a reflection of the past. So that's all I could say. That's my word to people is just go there, you know, have rich experience in life and just create fun memories. And that's it. I volunteer. That's what I, that's my mission right now in life too. So thank you for that. We really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) All right, folks, this has been another episode of the podcast. You can catch us Tuesdays with new episodes at globalcitizenspod.com or wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Amazon, Spotify, Apple, leave us a review. It helps folks find good content on the internet. And until next time, bye for now.